The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and uh, that name means that you are listening to The Crowncast, the show where we talk about everything that has to do with the Charlotte FC. And it's a lot. Boys, it it we're, we're playing a lot of games and uh, here to go through that whole mess of a lot with me as ever is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How's it going? Uh, it is going really well. It's going a lot better now. I think we <laughs> made a a good decision, really, if if I had to, you know, we'd all love to be to write our own reviews, right? Like not only is the crown cast wonderfully funny, but it's also the best podcast ever made. Um. It's a lot better that we made the decision to keep this Wednesday cast off the books until Thursday because we don't have to feel quite the same pain about what happened in Miami. Uh, we are going to talk about what happened in Miami, yeah, which which might bring us back down a little bit. But uh, I think just for sake of you know everyone's like general joy charts i don't know i feel like that's charted somewhere uh we're gonna talk about miami we're gonna bring ourselves back down uh we have a <laughs> special event for you guys today you will hear that coming up uh in the second half of the podcast and then we will talk a little bit more about the chelsea game to sort of raise everybody's spirits back up and i i have some hot hot takes for that one uh should we get right into the miami talk yeah, we got to. It's the it's the one that matters, right? It's the league. This is the points. This is us making the playoffs at the end of the season and everything. And yeah, and, and it we, wasn't great. Yeah, and and we threw. I'm not going to say we threw. Well, again, we'll get more into it. But we were up two goals. And to the casual viewer who might have just been attempting to follow this game on their phone in brief patches while they were otherwise occupied, I don't know who that person might have been. Uh, it looks like we were strongly in control of this, and uh, the people walking, watching a little bit closer may have have seen differently. But but we were up two goals. You want to talk about those? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to be honest. For the first one, I had flashbacks to uh, to the eighties. I am that old. Uh, I had to record things on VCR back in the day, and uh, having to jump up and and hit record as it starts. I was trying to record this match, uh, and made it just in time because that's how quickly we scored. Jordi Reyna, 25 seconds into this match, you know, they, they dispossessed uh, Miami off of a throw-in. Carol Swiderski gets it, slots the ball through, and we're ahead. Uh, started out great. Uh, it ended the first half strong because Jordi Reyna, he'd, he'd already tried this earlier in the match. It's this, it is Jordi Reyna's shot now. It is, I'm drifting in from the left wing. I'm, around the top corner of the 18 on that side. And I am going to try and curl it for the top corner far post and just put a little postage stamp in there. He almost did it in Miami. He almost did it against uh, Chelsea last night. He did it the second time against Miami in about the 42nd, 43rd minute. Those felt great. It felt great to go in uh, 2-0, but it doesn't tell the whole story. The no. whole story is between those two goals for about 40 minutes – we were kind of pinned back when we were outplayed. And yeah, I mean, I think I'd like to to tack in on this because I have a a very odd experience in this match. Normally for all Charlotte FC matches, I'm in the stadium or I'm watching it live. And 
there's a different atmosphere amongst certainly the stadium and watching it on TV, but there's a different atmosphere when you know what's happened as compared to when you hope something is going to happen, right? When you, when I'm, when I'm hoping and wanting for Charlotte FC to win or to hold off that drive or, or whatever, as compared to when I already know the score and I watch it back, you analyze things differently. And this was a wake up call for me a little bit as just to the fact that the other team gets to do tactics too. And I say that all the time. I think this is a spectacular example of the other team gets to do tactics too. They look like they studied us. They look like they actually sat down and paid attention to where some of the strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, they came up with a plan to impose their game on us. And I'm going to dive into that for just a second. This ability to impose your game on another team is a really difficult thing. And it's one of the things that makes professional athletes professional athletes is they just have this ability to, to create their situations. And it's challenging because obviously both teams are attempting to do that at one time. And I think what we saw here, despite a couple of goals against the run of play, was some fairly good preparation out of Miami. And their midfield having the ability to impose their game on us. And we just could not find a way to make them play Charlotte FC football. The whole game, it looked like we were playing Miami FC football. And, and it sucks because you can see the disjointed sort of play that comes from a team that's constantly being forced on the back foot. And uh, we were getting bossed in the midfield. I, I don't think there's a better way to say that than we were physically overrun. Um, they looked faster than us. They looked more organized than us. I, I struggle with exactly where I want to put the blame on, on this. You know, I think part of it lies in the players. It wasn't a good, more great performance from any of them. Uh, Maybe Jordi Reyna in, uh, included. Maybe Justin, I'll have you talk about that here in a minute. But I can't really put it all on Christian Latanzio either. They came in. They played their game. They bodied us in the midfield. Their strikers ran through our defense like we were just standing there. Um, I believe it was Taylor. Uh, is that correct, Justin? Yeah, Robert Taylor just yeah. dancing through everybody. Robert Taylor made us look like we... Uh, had stopped to eat lunch while he was running through our defense. And uh, it wasn't pretty to watch. You know, the the truth is the, the scoreline in the first half does not properly show what the actual event was. Uh, one of the things I noticed, Justin, and I wasn't really sure why, although I do think both of these players could actually play how they were working Brent Bronico was seen a lot further forward this isn't the first time we've seen that occasionally we've seen him when we have a lot of high pressure and we're imposing our game on other teams we've seen him push up sort of that left wing area and try and be another creator but this time we saw Sergio Ruiz almost dropping back and you know the first instinct I have seeing that is, hey, we're going to try and press higher up the field. We're going to let Brant Bronico tr go try and cut out some stuff in the midfield. And we're going to let Sergio Ruiz be a distributor. He's going to 
be a little bit further back. He's going to take on that Christian Fuchs role, but from the central midfield defensive area of the pitch, moving us into attack. It didn't work to me. I mean, I think that they both did some good work in those positions, but the connection of the team just looked wrong. Is there something you want to tag tag in on here? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely... We talked to Brand, and, and we know that he previously played, you know, more of an attacking midfield position. He's got the skills for it. He's He's got some great footwork uh, in some of these attacking positions. I just would rather have uh, Sergio up there. You know, they, they play sort of their positions because that's where they're, they're best on the pitch. Um, I think that we're seeing a lot of that overlap on that left-hand side in, from Brand in situations in particular where – Maybe Christian Fuchs doesn't have the legs to to gallop up and down the pitch on the left side and provide that additional support. But, you know, I, I feel like if we want more defensive help, if we want Sergio, if if we want somebody playing in some of the areas that Sergio is playing, I would rather Sergio stay further up the pitch. Ruiz is better playing in, I think, you know, behind the attackers, making making those smart passes that he can make and making the smart runs that he can make. You know, we saw it against Nashville, how effective he is really far in advance uh, in our attack. If you're going to do that, if you want more defensive solidity behind it, the answer is not, you know, bring Sergio back and give him more defensive responsibilities, in my opinion. The answer is instead... You know, maybe Quinn McNeil needs to drop and we go, I mentioned this during the post-react and everything, but the double pivot and Derek Jones, you know, he had a good match, I thought, against Chelsea last night. I would have liked to see the defensive solidity that Derek Jones can bring, you know, maybe imposing a little bit more control on that Miami midfield. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm gonna come in here because I, <laughs> this is actually one of the things I love about uh, just getting the t- chance to talk with you, Justin, because you make me think of things I haven't thought of before. And, you know, you listeners are getting this live. So if these thoughts aren't fully processed, you know, we apologize. But, you know, one of the things I think we missed when Brandt pushes up the field a little more is the positional discipline of a defensive midfielder. You know, we talk about uh, Brandt Bronico has the right to make the correct play. Um, Defensive midfielders are always thinking about what can I do that doesn't compromise my defense, right? Attacking midfielders do not have that thought. I mean, they may occasionally think, oh, hey, shape is important, but attacking midfielders are primarily given the role of you have to find a way to destroy their defense, not make sure that you are a connected piece of ours. And I think having Sergio Ruiz back there he just didn't have the positional discipline. And I think that might have gone a long way to being like they were just running through us, right? Because I think we are so used to seeing the job that that Brandt and uh, Anton Walks and Guzman Carujo and Christian Kalina are, you know, Bermuda diamond of death, uh, puts in that when we saw it without that structure and it was just that one line of defense, um, when Brandt was a little further pushed up or when Sergio Ruiz maybe, you know, shifted a little more to try and help somebody else or create in an area that left that exposed, we just saw him get run through. And, you know, maybe that's a good indicator of the fact that it takes more than one line of defense. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I would have liked to see some changes. I would have liked to see some improvements and not necessarily the improve or the, the changes that we saw. Cause there is this stretch right from in the 58th minute, we bring on a set of substitutions that it's still a little mind boggling to me to see, you know, uh, uh, Joseph Mora and, and Ben Bender come on and Jordi Reyna and Quinn McNeil, the ones sort of withdrawn and, the switch to the back five, literally Ben Bender runs over to his position. Joseph Mora runs over to his position. They're both sort of on the left-hand side and we are immediately broken down on that left. Uh, and Robert Taylor dances through everybody and scores their first goal and, and gives them hope again. Uh, it, you know, substitutes are in the 58th goal is scored in the 59th. It is immediate and, and some it's of it's shape, yeah. yeah. You know, some of it's the change in shape. Some of it is is new players need you know a minute to touch something like that to get into the match. Some of it's just poor play. I mean, uh, to be perfectly honest, Christian Fuchs in the situation is a little static. You know, he's a little he's a little frozen in place as Robert Taylor makes the run in, and so so you know, I have a question for you in this one. Yeah, we had some good discussion off mic that I think deserves to hit the mic just for a little bit. And that is, do you uh, what do you see as the responsibility in this goal? Um, Obviously, we have had some people talk to us and say Ben Bender didn't close the play down from the back. Uh, You know, Christian Fuchs looks like he just stands there. You know, where where can we realistically attribute what can go better? Maybe I don't want to use blame, but who can we look at and go, Hey, how do we cover this in the future? Uh, I mean, I think it starts with Joseph Mora being played around as fast as he did. I, I think that Mora has a responsibility to be a little bit stronger in that situation. Uh, it's a rainbow flick back that, that uh, Robert Taylor does over Mora's head, which is a very difficult thing to defend, mm-hmm. but you know, he gets sort of bodied off and moved past very quickly. I think the majority of the blame from where I sit and where I watch it is on Christian Fuchs, who, you know, is flat footed in the situation. And I think it doesn't force, doesn't force Robert Taylor into any sort of difficult decision, but instead leaves too many options. Bender has a, an opportunity, I think, to close down, but I think Bender's primary responsibility in the situation is to try and cover that that drop ball coming back up to the top of the 18 uh that gives you know could have given Miami some some additional options this is a difficult shot that Robert Taylor takes and gets past uh Christian Kalina it's from a difficult angle you have theoretically more options. Obviously, you score the goal. That's all that really matters. But you have theoretically more options if the ball can be played back to the top of the box to another set of attackers there that maybe have more space. And so I think that's where Ben Bender's primary responsibility is. I think he peels off because he sees a risk. But he's always behind the play. Yeah, he is always behind the play. I think the way that I would describe this is that I feel like Ben Bender could have made Christian Fuchs's job a little easier, but ultimately it was Christian Fuchs's job to close that man down. Uh, you know, it's it's not the other way around. It's not that Christian Fuchs could have made Bender's job a little easier in, in this one. 
Is there anything else you really want to say about it? I mean, you you talked to me about the sort of 10 minutes where it falls apart. Do you want to jump on that yeah, real quick? I mean, you know, well, so so after that, Gonzalo Higuain comes in uh, as a substitute in the 60th right after the goal. Almost immediately, there's a ball chipped over the top that he slots and they flag it for offside. And I mentioned in the post-react, we talked about it when you watched the match. That probably wasn't offside. It should have been a warning. Yeah, it should have been a warning message. We should have been aware that that's where Gonzalo Higuain wants to play, where he wants to make his runs. Um, Sixty-second minute, Sergio Ruiz gets a yellow. I think that's always rough when your central midfielders start getting yellow cards. Uh, that one was fair. Sergio Ruiz takes a tactical yellow. Sixty-six and seventy-one. Sixty-six minute, seventy-first minute. Kamil Yozwiak gets a yellow. Carol Swiderski gets a yellow. These are incredibly soft. These are yellow cards for dissent, apparently, not for any kind of bad tackle or anything. And kind of in response to bad calls by the official. Um, and then 72nd minute, Gonzalo Higuain scores the goal. It's it's the same thing. It's a little dink over the top. Higuain gets the run off the back shoulder of our, our defender. Uh, this time he's onside. He was probably onside for the first one. And he one times the volley past Kalina. And... You know, it's just this stretch, it's followed shortly thereafter by a switch back to that 4-1-4-1 or 4-4-2, like 4-3-3, whatever you want to call our system, but out of the back five, um, you know, because Jalen Lindsay comes in and, and takes up that right back spot again. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the 58th minute sub, it was Joseph Moore coming on for Harrison Awful and Ben Bender for McNeil. Uh, so we go back to the back four and, uh, you know, but the damage is done then. Miami was doing well against us, but as long as we could keep them, you know, away from the goal and, and out of there, we were okay. We, we let them get the two back and, you know, then they managed the third and stoppage time. And we managed to drop points that we really should not have, uh, you know, on the road. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that one of the things I'm going to call out here and uh, Justin, you'll be proud of me for this one. For those of you who did listen to this post react, uh, I was not there to stop Justin uh, talking <laughs> about the referees, and he took full advantage of that. <clears throat> and so uh, I'm going to make you proud, Justin, by talking about the referees. And the card to Kamil Yazwiak specifically is one that I want to address because we do not know what Kamil Yazwiak said to that referee. Kamil Yazwiak could have threatened that man's life and family members. I don't think he did, right? But yelling at the referee, especially making a case for a call one way or the other, happens every 12 seconds in a football match. If that is a yellow card offense, no one would ever play football. Every single person would be on red cards by the time we hit the 28th minute. <laughs> I do not understand. And in fact, maybe one of the rules I would love to see change is if there is a mark for dissent, it has to, uh, maybe the referees need to wear microphones uh, because I, I feel like we need to know what was said to them. If there is a mark for dissent and he said something like, open up your eyes, ref, how can you not see that? that referee is uh, reacting to the game in a poor way. 
if that referee gave a mark for dissent because a player ran up to him and threatened the health and safety of his family, that is a different matter. And that needs to be addressed on the other side, right? But yeah. either way, I feel like a yellow card for a mark of dissent is one of the most questionable things that we currently see in football. And I would love to see it addressed in a better way because if he ran up and the referee was just frustrated, I don't care how frustrated you are. If he ran up and said something that 60 other people had said to him that day and he just said, screw it, I'm done with you and threw a yellow card but hadn't for anything else, he's wrong. And it, yeah. uh, uh, and like I said, 10 minutes of chaos. Um, is there anything else you want to sort of tack on to the Miami game? Uh, I feel like no. the final goal late, this is the second time in the season it happens and there's almost nothing as painful as getting shut uh, completely out of the points, essentially in extra time. I think the last time it happened was Atlanta. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's painful. You know, this would have been a nice one on the road and everything, but I think that's enough talking. This is an yeah. unpleasant game uh, yeah. to think about and to reconsider. And so well, let's instead that, talk about a more pleasant game. Yeah, I was going to say something that is a much more pleasant game is the game of disc golf. And those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast will know we are sponsored by AHA Disc Golf Shack. Um, Aaron, the gentleman who runs it, fantastic man. Uh, likes to help out the community, local business. And if you go up to him looking for some equipment and you mention the name of the Crowncast, he will help you get some equipment at a discount. And if you are new to the sport of disc golf, he will take you out using his time, his energy, his effort, and he will help you overcome those barriers to entry. He'll help you learn how to play. He'll teach you the rules. And he will get you set up with the equipment that you need all again at a discount if you use the Crowncast name. We are so happy to be working with him. And uh, Justin, would you say that that is about enough of that? Yeah, I think so. Great game, great town for it. Absolutely go check out AHA Disc Golf Shack. We love working with them. So we have a, a very special sort of new segment coming in today. Uh, you have already heard this gentleman's voice. He was on, very thankfully, giving me the opportunity to uh, go up and see the mighty Arsenal play in Baltimore. Uh, he covered for me, so I'm super thankful. But we wanted to bring you a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more interesting facts, uh, make you a little smarter about what Charlotte FC is going to be doing in the future. So we are going to be talking to Josh from Banks Beers and Soccer. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Uh, yeah, real good. Real good right now. But although we have now beaten Chelsea FC, which is remarkably impressive, we have to focus on the actual, like, regularly scheduled calendar, the games that actually matter, right? And you happen to know a lot about Toronto. Do you want to, you know, give us your insight into, you know, what Toronto brings to the table and what we'll need to do to come away with three points? Yeah. Um, so I've been diving into them a little bit this week just to sort of see where they're at. Um, this year has not been going well for Toronto. Um, there's a, one big reason for that, and that's that their defense is pretty awful. Um, over the year, they've given up 39 goals so far this year, um, which is third most in the league. 
Um, and that's coming off of an expected goals of 41.4. So really, they're, they would have been expected to have uh, given up a few more than they have. Um, so that's the first big thing that jumps out to me when I look at this team. Um, saying that, though, their goalkeeper is actually having a pretty decent year. Uh, he's a bit inconsistent uh, year to year. He sort of is up or down. This year happens to be one of his up years. Um, he's facing a ton of shots, but he's doing a pretty good job of stopping more than he would be expected. So he's actually the one who's keeping them in games a little bit more than they normally would have been. Oh, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I'm going to ask you a question on that really quick, and that is... Uh, you know, you say Toronto has some defensive frailties and Charlotte FC is a not exactly an attacking powerhouse of the league yet. Do you feel like there's anywhere in their team that, you know, Charlotte FC can really get at? Is there a particular player? Maybe Jordi Reyna is, you know, maybe Mackenzie gains its pace, something that you feel like would be a real weapon that could help us break them down? Yeah, I think um, I think they're fullbacks are problematic. Uh, to be honest with you, it's kind of hard to pick out one one weakness in that back line because the entire thing is hey, kind of a weakness. You you can pick out three or four for us. I mean, I, I'm happy to hear that they are just all weakness. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking at. And again, this is just by the numbers. I obviously haven't had a chance to watch every single Toronto game. Um, but by the numbers, really, I'm only seeing one halfway decent uh defensive player and that's shane o'neill he came over from seattle uh this year actually um the their other center backs aren't terrible but they're not outstanding and really they're playing um wingers and midfielders as fullbacks or wingbacks depending mm -hmm. on if they're in a back three or back four uh it looks like they might be trying to actually convert some of those guys into fullbacks where previously they were uh higher up the pitch um and the guys they're playing in those positions are pretty young so you know it could work out for them in the long term but right now uh it really leaves them vulnerable yeah it comes with those those young players learning mistakes that ultimately sometimes cost you goals and hopefully get charlotte fc those goals and those points uh you know is there anything else you want to talk about this team in particular and where we feel like we could take advantage of them or any other strengths or weaknesses you'd be worried about from toronto yeah so there the big question mark is whether they're gonna have lorenzo insigne available he's their new uh designated player he's coming over on a free from napoli he was actually, from what I've seen, he was supposed to make his appear his debut uh, last week. Uh, he has a mild calf injury, it looks like. So there's a little question mark about whether he'll be available this week. The expectation is that he will. Uh, if he is available, Charlotte are going to have their hands full. Um, I'm of the opinion that Insigne, the moment he steps onto a field in MLS, is one of the top five players in the league. Really? That high of a uh, expectation out of Insigne, huh? Yeah, um, he's he's played for Napoli basically his entire career. He had one loan spell at Pescara over in Italy. Um, but he's been with Napoli during this time when they've really had a resurgence. They haven't been this good in Serie A since the Maradona days. And he's a big reason for it. Uh, he's only 5'4", 
like 130 pounds, which I think is probably the reason he never got a bigger move to something like PSG or Barcelona or, or anything. But this is a guy over the past two seasons in Serie A has 30 goals and 16 assists. And those are pretty good numbers. Uh, what would you say is his like actual real threat? Is he somebody who counters really well? Is he somebody who who sprints in behind lines really well? Does he like to come in off the off uh, off the outside? So he's going to play coming off the left a little bit, which is actually going to be interesting to me. Uh, Toronto have another really good young player who has been playing on the left, Jaden Nelson. So I'm curious to see how they fit both of those players in. Um, I'm kind of assuming assuming Nelson might just switch over to the right-hand side. But Insigne likes the left-hand side. He will cut in. As far as what he does well and what he doesn't do well, there's not a ton he doesn't do well. I mean, the guy <laughs> can dribble, he can carry the ball, he can shoot, he scores. Um, he's a good passer. He's dangerous. I, I know I'm kind of gushing about him, <laughs> but I really do think that this is an amazing signing for Toronto. Um, and I'll go even so far as to say, and I know this is kind of a bold claim, I think that there's a very real possibility that if he adapts to MLS, he could be the best player in the league for the next year or two. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's a big statement. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was going to say, so So, is there, you know, anything uh, that Charlotte can do to counter him if Insignia plays? If, you said he's if he's going to attack primarily from the left, is it is the Harrison awful Guzman Carujo in defense combination going to be enough to potentially contain him? I think Carujo, as long as he sort of uh, restrains himself a little bit, uh, I love Carujo, but I think occasionally he can be a little too aggressive in the tackle. And Signe is tricky, so I think he's going to have to play it a little bit more conservatively, but the biggest weakness of Insigne is his size. So he's not a big guy. If you can sort of body him, you can hopefully throw him off. He's also coming to a new league. Um, Syria is a little bit more tactical than the athleticism and, and speed that's required in MLS. So you would hope that it would take him a minute to get up and running in MLS and not just immediately hit the ground running. Uh, and then as far as awful, I, I'm a little torn. I Our history with Latanzio makes me believe that awful is going to start. To be honest with you, I think that Lindsay's youth, speed, athleticism might serve us a bit better in this game. I just don't know that I see Latanzio making that switch. Yeah, I, I have to be honest. I don't know that I see Latanzio making that switch either. Um, and it's one of the questions we've had about Latanzio throughout the podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of great things have come out of Latanzio, but one of the questions we have had is what happened to Jalen Lindsay? Uh Really, you know, I think you've given us a pretty good little snippet of Toronto. Do you want to, you know, basically do what I asked Justin to do at the end of all the post reacts? And if you could just sort of give us a a wrap it up into a, a good little box of what you're thinking about, two sentences to to take us home for our match versus Toronto. If Insigne plays, contain him, uh, play solidly at the back like we've done most of the year. You'll get opportunities. Got to put him past Bono. Fantastic. Um, I am going to uh, force you not to give us your prediction. And the <laughs> the person who gets credit for this is Justin. If you want to hear Josh's from Banks, Beers, and Soccer, and again, that is Banks, Beers, and Soccer, uh, if you want to hear his predictions, you're going to have to go see him, 
right? We're not going to just give it to you here. You're going to have to, to go <laughs> see him. And like I said, credit to you, Justin, for for making sure that we want to support him just like you're supporting us. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for the time. Thank you both. Let's All go, right. Charlotte. Let's go, Charlotte. So uh, on to some news around uh, Tepper Sports and Entertainment, you know, the the holding company that owns both the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte FC, uh, you know, some more, we've talked a little bit, right, about some of the changes. The CEO has left, the, the CFO, like the CEO left and then the replacement CEO left and you know, there was the Rock Hill uh, Carolina Panthers practice facility project the Tepper Sports and Entertainment pulled out of. Mm-hmm. This doesn't any none of this directly impacts Charlotte FC, right? But but it all sort of impacts Charlotte FC because this is the company that owns the team. So uh, we had another one the the COO of Tepper Sports and Entertainment, um, a guy by the name of Mark Hart. Uh, resigned from his position Monday of this week. So just a few days ago, uh, you know, again, we don't necessarily know why we don't necessarily know what it means, but it's not necessarily the best look to see this kind of turnover at the top of the uh, business organization around, uh, around the club. And now uh, it came out today that the Eastland mall area of Charlotte, an area that has long been targeted for, you know, redevelopment and some economic improvement and, um, Tepper Sports and Entertainment was a partner from when uh, Charlotte FC was announced as the the next MLS expansion club. Uh, at the same time, Tepper Sports and Entertainment indicated that they were becoming a major partner of the Eastland Mall project. And um, today, uh, Tepper Sports and Entertainment has pulled out of the Eastland Mall project, and apparently, no one, you know, within the city of Charlotte, within the Eastland Mall project, anything like that, knows why. Tepper Sports and Entertainment has pulled out. So, you know, it's not necessarily directly Charlotte FC news, but it's disconcerting to see and hear these kinds of changes. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'll I'll tack in here is that ultimately that which affects your uh, owners ultimately affects you. And uh, for those of you who have long been fans of football clubs, uh, you know that when you start start to see financial issues concern amongst owners in football clubs that often that means that sometimes the same levels of finance to make sure your club is running smoothly, etc. Uh, may not be there. And I don't think we're in anywhere near panic mode yet. The truth is, in a, a very challenging economy at the moment, a lot of reorganizing amongst businesses is happening. Uh, I don't think the optics on this one are very good. In fact, I think the optics on this one are terrible. Uh, yeah. But I'm I'm not inclined at this point in time to say it, it will have any real effect other than maybe just something we keep our eyes on. Uh, is there anything else you want to throw into the news, Justin, or should we dive into the much better match of Chelsea? No, I think that that's about it. Like you said, the only thing we're doing here is trying to keep our listeners apprised of this and aware because, you know, any kind of tumult at the top can can you know, wend its way down to these teams and, and who knows how that can impact them. We actually saw it with the team we played uh, uh, last night in our friendly is uh, Chelsea had to deal with a Russian oil oligarch owner last season who was impacted by the war with Ukraine. And, you know, that temporarily affected this Chelsea squad. 
Yeah, and I think we should say rightfully impacted. Um, yes, you know this uh, this seizure over a, a terrible thing. Uh, I think it is right that uh, the owner of Chelsea stepped down, and uh, they are now under new management. And thankfully, we really don't have to talk about that situation anymore. Uh, we do get to talk about Chelsea about the fact that we beat them, and I yeah. think that is the better thing to talk about. The actual thing that I want to talk about, Justin, uh, you know, we give away we give away crowns and cards, and I'm going to give away a little like honorary crown here in this one because I realized in my brilliance that I had come up with something I was very happy with too late to put it into the post react. So uh, I'm going to crown the script writers for this match. Uh, well done, well done for those of you out there who believe that uh, matches are all scripted. Uh, whoever wrote the script for this one nailed it. If you are a fan, especially of Charlotte FC, if you're a fan of Charlotte FC and you're also a fan of Chelsea, you got to see everyone play, right? If you are a fan of Charlotte FC and U.S. football, you got basically the perfect outcome. We got to see Charlotte FC win. I think we can all agree that's the most important. We got to see Christian Pulisic score. And for those of you who uh, were in the supporter section, it was right in front of you. Uh, I, I don't think anyone would have considered that a good thing until we go on and win the game, right? Like, I feel like a lot of us would have agreed that we love Christian Pulisic for the United States we want him to continue succeeding and continue building world football in the name of the USA in world football. A lot of us would love to get the chance to see that man put a ball in the back of the net live. We got to see him put a ball in the back of the net, not at the cost of our victory. We still yep. got to win and got to see Christian Pulisic score. That's not all we got to see. We got to see PKs. We got to see Raheem Sterling take a penalty kick. I mean, uh, there are people who travel across uh, oceans regularly to see names like Raheem Sterling take PKs and never get to see it. Uh, we got to see some really, really big names play. Uh, we got goals. Uh, we got lots. We got the drama in the, the late hour of the game with the young 16-year-old. If you are just a fan of football, this was the best script that could have been written. And to the script writer, I hope that there is an agent out there somewhere in Hollywood that is hiring you for some soccer movie somewhere because because you deserve it. Well done. Yeah. I mean, you're right. We we had a blast with this. We got to see, you know, a couple of different lineups. We got to see George Marks get some time. You know, we got to see the, uh, uh, Sisenya get some time. We got to see all of these you know, amazing uh, uh, Chelsea players that, you know, you listed off a bunch of them last night in the post react and everything. And we got to see Charlotte FC look good against a premier league squad. We looked solid. Um, you know, Latanzio in his, in his uh, post-match interview had a comment about, you know, I was disappointed in Miami and I tried to implement some new things and I was really excited to see, you know, the boys took to it well and implemented some of them against Chelsea and it was impressive. And they were an impressive side against a Premier League squad that, 
you know, finished third in the Premier League last last year, is a perennial Champions League squad. Um, and and you know, Brian Romero coming on at 16 and getting a chance to to dance around a little bit and uh, be that kind of threat. It was it was awesome. Yeah, and again, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this super quick because it is it is not the side that played against us was not the full power side of Chelsea FC. It was not them bringing all guns to the fore and really taking us to war. But it was not a nobody side. Christian Pulisic, Boshwai, Ziyech, Alonso, Kovacic, Jorginho, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Emerson, Thiago Silva, Reese James. A lot of those names are names that you could very realistically expect to see on the starting team sheet for Chelsea against anyone. And those were the starters against Charlotte FC. So while they weren't on the field the whole time, we did really get to see something special. We got to see a a lot of the big names come out and uh, play the game of football. And that's what we all love. Yeah. And we got to see a lot of the Charlotte FC, you know, we did the same sort of thing where at the half, we basically swapped out the entire team. And so, you know, Daniel Rios got some pitch time, which I thought was great. It's it's good to see him back in the side. Derek Jones got some pitch time. Uh, we even got uh, a Jordi Alcivar sighting uh, when he came on in the 76th minute uh, for Quinn McNeil. He he had a chance to, to take a run out. Yeah. Uh, a rapidly becoming rare Jordi Alcivar sighting. Uh, but there was a sighting we did not see. Uh, Justin, you want to yeah. you want to go into this and uh, yeah, here come the hot takes because I have the hot takes. Well, so one of the other questions I mentioned earlier, Christian Latanzio's post game pressure. One of the questions he was asked was uh, TD Ortiz not on the side tonight. Any comment on that? And he said, No, I don't want to say anything about that. TD Ortiz has vanished from this side. Uh, I I think that longtime listeners of the show will know that this is not necessarily something that the hosts of this show see as a negative, but it's something I think that needs to be highlighted and, and discussed briefly because this was a big signing when MAR was when, when MAR was here and our manager, you know, he had played before with Ortiz. Ortiz came in and looked like he was going to be the number 10, the, the, uh, you know, this attacking player uh, that was going to run the side and everything. And we never saw that, you know, yeah. uh, one of the things that I'm going to come in here with, and I'm going to preface all of this by saying TD Ortiz is one of the players who one I think was a very MAR player. Like it, it seems like Miguel Ramirez really was TD Ortiz and Miguel Ramirez kind of went together. And I'm not going to say that completely. I'm sure they had their fights. I'm sure that they weren't always buddy buddy. But one of the things that you see about uh, TD Ortiz is he is very divisive. People either love TD Ortiz and believe that he is what every team needs, or people really don't like T.D. Ortiz. And so when you talk about a player like this, there always ends up this big fight. There always ends up this, like, people are picking up pitchforks to go to, uh, you know, I guess old-timey war. I guess if it was modern war, they'd be picking up, like, guns or something. I don't know. I'm not not a war person. Um, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But I have seen this story before. Uh, And I think... And this is just an opinion piece right now. 
I think Christian Latanzio might be doing us a favor. The reason I say I've seen this story before is if you are familiar with a man named Mesut Ozil, uh, you will know that Mesut Ozil was once one of the best players in the world, went to Arsenal, had a couple of good years at Arsenal, and proceeded to basically rest and just assume that he was always going to be the greatest thing of all time and that he didn't have to work or he didn't have to chase back. He didn't have to do his defensive responsibilities. He didn't have to show up to practice. Um, If he didn't want to go to a game because it was too far away, he would just say that he was sick. And people either loved Mesut Ozil. They said, this guy has the once in a generation talent. We should be doing everything we can to make him happy or people hated Mesut Ozil. Um, they said, hey, this guy is just is just riding the coattails of the club. He's taking all our money. He's not doing anything. And ultimately, it became such a toxic situation that you can look at it as one of the major factors for the downfall of Arsenal from their once you know, top of the Premier League position. I have seen in recent years what it takes to intelligently and correctly remove a player who is toxic to the team. You have to give them the chance to play. You have to give them the right to show up and be a part of the team. And Christian Latanzio did that. In the beginning of this team, he played T.D. Ortiz just like everyone else. I say in the beginning of this team, in the beginning of Christian Latanzio's reign, he played T.D. Ortiz just like everyone else. He gave T.D. Ortiz chance, chance, chance. When he didn't see what he wanted, T.D. Ortiz went on the bench. Um, if there is, and what it seems to be, is sort of this same descent in the locker room. And again, we're not in the locker room. This is just the optics from the outside. If this player is creating that, hey, I'm special and I should be playing and uh, I shouldn't have to work for it. I'm I'm the number 10. Everything should be about me. And also not putting in the work to to get on the field and not learning how to work with his teammates. That is a a dangerous thing in a locker room and in a team. And it may be that Christian Latanzio is doing us a favor in helping us move T.D. Ortiz on. If T.D. Ortiz wants to be a part of this team, and this is where I, I have demands of Christian Latanzio, he can't just be out in the cold, right? But if T.D. Ortiz is, is you know, holding on his gate and saying, hey, I'm supposed to be the big person and I don't care what anyone says, sooner or later, someone is going to end up being the bad guy. Right, whether it's TD Ortiz or whether it's Christian Latanzio or whether it's the next manager, somebody's going to end up being the bad guy. And what I think I have seen of this story is it's better to go ahead and have somebody be the bad guy and rip the band-aid off. And I don't care who that bad guy is, as long as it gets us to the healthier place for the team. Right. There are no sacred cows. The healthier place for the team is where we need to go. And if this is one of those situations developing. I am happy that Christian Latanzio might be taking the hit and ripping the Band-Aid off. Uh, Justin, do you want to get in on that at all? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we have commented before about how we don't really think that T.D. Ortiz plays the right kind of football for this side. I don't know that he plays the right kind of football for this league. I don't think that that this is a kind of league that he could impose his will on the way, you know, maybe he has played elsewhere. Um, I think it's a more physical league, and, and I don't know that T.D. Ortiz necessarily like that. Um, I'm, I am okay with this because I think if you talk about areas of the pitch where – I think we're in good shape. That attacking midfield area between Sergio Ruiz, between Ben Bender, Quinn McNeil, Chris Heger, even Jordi Alcivar, we've got options there. We've got a stable of players there that can come in and play the central midfield for us. Um, and I, we don't need a bad attitude guy on the squad uh, causing problems. Um and I'm okay with this. I, I, I would rather us slim the squad down. You know, I'd rather us get in a position where we can try and find some players who maybe want to be here or give opportunities to players who want to be here uh, in favor of a guy that may have a lot of talent but does not seem like he wants to be here. So, Yeah, one of the things that I think many, many years of being football fans has taught us is that the soft factors are actually not that soft. And having a dressing room and having a team that is actually there and wants to be there and is behind the project has a value that just cannot be put into numbers and is bigger than an individual player. Uh, if a player is outside of that boat and wants on, there has to be a way back. But the the health and, and benefit of the boat is ultimately what has to come first. Uh, we are going to start to wrap it up there. Ladies and gentlemen, as ever, thank you for spending your time with us. Uh, we are not done. We have the content machine rolling, and we are going to keep it rolling for you. But we will talk to you again after we go into uh, our next. Oh, oh, uh, you are right. Uh, big, big shout out, real quick, to Josh over at Banks Beers Soccer. Uh, that is Banks, plural B A N K S, Beer, singular B E R, and Soccer uh, dot com. Uh, Banks Beer Soccer. We're working with Josh going forward. We're going to look to to Josh's expertise on you know the teams that we're going to be facing while Logan and I get to keep focusing on what we love, which is to watching our matches and then picking them apart. Um, so again, big shout out to Josh. Go check out the blog. Uh, his prediction for the Toronto matches up there. Um, go go read him. He's a great writer. Uh, great guy, and glad to have him working with us. And. Uh, thank you, Justin. So I will now say we will talk to you again after we get go take our next three points from Toronto. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.